Good morning. What a blessing to be with you this morning. I am um, really overjoyed to be here this morning, so thank you for inviting me. Um, So my name is Carol Montgomery. I am uh, appointed to the Texas Methodist Foundation, and so what that means essentially is I get to go around and, um, oh, I don't know, be a, a conversation partner to pastors and churches all throughout our connection, throughout our conference. And um, it's a, it really is a joy to be able to kind of be a free agent on Sunday so that I can go fill the pulpit in a number of places um, as needed. And I get to meet folks like you all. So I hope uh, we'll have an opportunity to chat a little bit after the service. Um, so I, uh, there are a lot of things up here. Okay, we're going to. I'm going to put that there. So I've had several careers in my life uh, during my life on this planet. I suppose some would say that makes me old. (laughs) I prefer to say I'm well-seasoned and that all of those careers um, have been essential in who I am as a pastor. There are a number of of them that that are my favorites um, I've met some really incredible people and been able to do some really uh, wonderful things. When I was a teacher for six or seven years, I was a first grade teacher, I would say that was probably one of my most favorite things. Um, I love those kids. You know, first graders, if you've ever been around first graders, they are creative and they are funny and they are opinionated (laughs) and they are loving and um, they are more than a little forgetful, let's just say. So with my first graders, um, they would leave all sorts of things at the end of the day when I go around through the room picking things up. I, I got a box, a lost and found box, and I put it all in that box so that they could possibly find it if they remembered that they lost it in the first place, that they could find it in this box. Um, now, I will say... Um, here, I'm going to move this here. You know, they're not that much different than you all. Um, I asked Ricky to, uh, I said, do you all have a lost and found box? And he says, oh, well, we have a lost and found basket. So just in case you're um, missing a green hat or, oh, someone's Bible is in here, a um, couple of umbrellas and some sunglasses. Anybody lose some sunglasses? Yeah. So just it looks like a sweater too. So I'm just going to leave this up here and you can kind of sneak up here later if you did leave something. Um, but anyway, uh, so these first graders, they would, when they realized that they had lost something, they'd go to the box and they'd start pulling things out, pulling things out. And then if they didn't find what they were looking for, they'd take the box and they'd shake it upside down, you know, and knock things all over the place. Um, And then if that didn't work, if they didn't find what they were looking for, we had plan B. And plan B was this. You stand with your arms straight out and you close your eyes and you turn around as you recite, Tony, Tony, turn around. Something's lost and must be found. Now, if you want to know if that poem ever worked, again, we can talk after the service. But that seemed to work for them. And whatever the case, whether they turned the box upside down or they recited the poem, uh, we cleared the box out, uh, you'd be surprised 
as I said, what you would find. You know, if you think about it, if there was a lost and found box of life, there's a lot that would show up in it, stuff lying in there unclaimed while we just go about doing what it is that we do. Actually, it's very possible to lose a lot of things and keep on keeping on. We can lose direction, faith, face, faculties. We can lose friends, focus, ground, and hair. Hope, heart, head, keys, mind, mobility, your patience. Not to mention we can lose respect, sanity, teeth, your temper, and touch. And when we do lose something, sometimes it's a good strategy to retrace our steps. You know, that find that spot where you lost it. Revisit the store where you might have left your credit card. The sink where you took your rings off while you washed the dishes or washed your hands. Retrace your steps. Where did I mislay my prayer time in favor of a jam-packed calendar? Where did I leave my empathy for others in favor of self-gain? And where, church, where did my Jesus glasses go? You know the ones I'm talking about, the glasses with the lenses that help us see others through the eyes of Christ. The ones that give us the superpower to see all others with unconditional love, grace, and compassion. I wonder. Chapter 15 is the heart of Luke's gospel where the three parables of lost and found are typically the lessons of focus. We look to these parables as markers, guides, or maps to help us unearth what we've lost. The thing is, for me, the lesson actually begins even before the parables start. It begins with the very first verses, where Jesus is sitting around talking with some of his marginalized folks and the Pharisees and scribes, the the people who are somebody start to get all bunched up. And they they get upset because Jesus is hanging out, having a meal with those sinners again. Here it's not about losing something tangible like sheep or coins or a son. It's about lost perspective. So I'm reading from Luke 15, uh, 1 through 2 actually. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them? These two verses are huge. Because in the blink of an eye, Jesus, like my first graders with the lost and found box turned everything upside down. Those who were once on the inside, the Pharisees and the scribes, are now out. And those who have been 
pushed to the margins, the tax collectors and the sinners are now in. And the self-righteous uppity-ups are mad. They definitely don't have their Jesus glasses on. They have lost perspective and they start to get all judgy. Can't you hear them? Has Jesus lost his mind? Doesn't he know that if he hangs out with the likes of them, no one will take him seriously? Who's going to believe he speaks for God if he doesn't keep better company? Doesn't he know what kind of message he's sending? I mean, really? But here's the thing. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. In Jesus' day, what you ate and who you ate it with were critical matters. But he didn't give much thought to these traditional matters of table. In fact, Jesus offended a lot of people with his table manners. He ignored the finger bowl by his plate. He ate what was, whatever was in front of him. He thought nothing of sitting down to eat with people whose lives actually even declared their contempt for religion. He was seen as someone who had lost all sense of what was right, who condoned sin by eating with sinners and who might as well have just spit in the faces of the good people who raised him. But for Jesus... What others thought of him didn't matter. Because for him, the table extended beyond the idea of table manners and being fed. For him, it became a table of compassion, a table of justice. It is at the table, time and time again, Jesus demonstrated his radical hospitality, his unyielding grace, and his limitless love for all people. When Jesus wanted to shake people up, to challenge ideas of power and privilege and who is clean or unclean, he does so by sitting down and breaking bread with those on the outside. Those who have been pushed away. He makes room at the table and brings them in. He brings them in. Y'all, don't you see, Jesus is asking us to reach out to those whose society, not God, has pushed to the margins, those who are broken and scared and alone, those who are angry, tired, and hungry, those who are looking for something deeper and searching for the God of love who knows no bounds. Jesus is asking us, No, telling us to look through his eyes, to use his lenses. Because when we put on our Jesus glasses, it changes our perspective and deepens our love for one another. It gives us the ability to love as God loves us in a bold and mighty way. But I do wonder, are we up to that task? (coughs) 
Can we love that deeply? That boldly? Are we able to look beyond our misconceptions and preconceptions and ask those around us what they need and how we can help? Are we ready to do that? Not too long ago, I had my misconceptions and my misperceptions changed. Thanks be to God. I went uh, on a tour of a prison in Dallas. And uh, it is one that I have driven by, Lou Sterrett, for those of you who have been in Dallas, and I've driven by it a hundred times, if not a thousand. Maybe visited once or twice. Um, But on this particular day, we were taking a tour, and we were going through the whole process from booking to going up to the top floor where they, some really um, dangerous folks were living. And so as we're traveling and going through this tour, we get up to this third floor um, where the dangerous people are, as they said. And I, I was just taken back. I was really lost in thought. And um, I was looking at, I don't know, the layers of bars that were separating me from the inmates. And I was looking at the the plexiglass windows, bulletproof windows that were about this thick. And I was looking at the armed guards and the the chains. And and when I finally kind of came out of my own little world, I looked up and realized that the train had left and I wasn't on it. Like the whole group had had gone. And I was like, oh, great. Now what, you know? And so when I looked up, there was an inmate over there. He was just kind of leaning against the wall. And I couldn't pretend like I didn't see him because our eyes locked. We saw each other. And so I got really nervous, not because I was in fear for myself. I got nervous because I was like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. Uh, do I look at him? Do I not look at him? Do I, what, you know, what do I do? Am I invading his privacy if I look at him? And so finally, I'm just like, oh, Carol, come on. Um, do whatever you do when you see anybody. And I, so I smiled and I waved. And I'm just like, I, you know, what's up? You know, just, um, and, uh, and he, he looks at me as if to say, it's up to you, you know. And I mean, he smiles and he waves. And we just looked at each other. And in that moment, it didn't matter. I wasn't thinking about what he did or who he was that got him there. And I'm sure he wasn't thinking that about me. But in that holy, sacred moment, all we saw were two beloved children of God. I will never, ever forget that moment, that moment that Christ gave me new eyes to see. You see, God's love isn't just for the self-proclaimed, the self-righteous, the the scribes and Pharisees of the world, the ones, you know, who can't help but tell us how faithful or prayerful and saintly they are, what they're for, what they're against. God's love is bigger than that. God's love is 
is here for all people. For those of differing theologies and ethnicities and gender and cultures and socioeconomic backgrounds, those who have faith and those who are still searching. Whoever you are, wherever you are, along life's journey, God welcomes you here. And if, if we should ever forget that, I think all we need to do is just close our eyes and say, Tony, Tony, turn around. I may have been lost, but through Christ's love, I am found. Thanks be to God. Amen.